0: Hello and welcome to Unpleasant Movies, the podcast dedicated to harsh and unrelenting cinema. My name is Sveta Ogod. And I'm Thomas
1: Simonsen Bombra. And today we're talking about Come and See, the 1985 feature by Elam Klimov, co written by Elam Klimov and Alice Adamovich, starring Alexei Kravchenko as Floria and Olga Mironova as Glasha. It's based on Alas Adamovich's book from 1978 called I Am From the Fiery Village. And also the director, Alam Klimov, uh, based a lot of his experiences from the Second World War with the um, Nazis invading Belarusia.
0: Yeah, he was a co-writer, was um, in the partisan forces of the Soviet Union, right? That's right. So he was an eyewitness to a lot of the things going on in this movie.
1: So the title of the film... Come and see. It might seem straightforward, but uh, it actually comes from a quote from the Bible. So I thought I'd read
0: that. It's the book of Revelation, right? (laughs) That's right. So I'll just read that for you.
1: And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. So, you know, this is going to be a nice and happy
0: type of movie. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting fact that the title in itself seems pretty innocuous, but the context of the actual, like, where it comes from is so dark. Yeah. Did you know what the original title was going to be? Kill Hitler, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they went with Come and See. It's a bit more... uh, It's much better. Yeah, Yeah. it's not so on the nose. It sounds like a Grindhouse flick or something.
1: I agree. It sounds a bit less serious. There's an interesting context for it, uh, but we'll talk a bit about that later. Yeah. Uh, The film doesn't have much in the way of a plot. It's about a young man who wishes to join the armed forces in the fight against the Nazis who are kind of sweeping into Belarusia.
0: Yeah, the resistance, the, the Soviet partisans.
1: And his mother definitely does not want him to join, but he's kind of taken in by the soldiers anyway, kind of roughly.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a like a the runt of the litter. Yeah, sort of. yeah.
1: I mean, he's maybe like 14 years old at this point, and he seems even younger maybe. He's kind of like a naive... Uh,
0: he's lived in a small village. He's not a very... Experienced 14 year old. He seems pretty yeah, he's sheltered.
1: Very childlike, I yeah. Say. He goes to the camp of the soldiers but is rejected and is not allowed to join the actual fight. He's is left to, behind. Yeah, he's left behind and he returns to his village. The story is basically the horrors of war seen from a civilian's
0: perspective. A 14 year old's uh, perspective. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't an actor either. He was just a a uh, regular kid, the, the founder, main character. Yeah. I think Elam Klimov, he wanted specifically the main character, it was very important to him that that was not an actor. He did not yeah. want that sort of part to be tainted by um, any pretense or like he, he really wanted that to feel as authentic as possible. And I think he definitely succeeded with that because uh, the part is played very well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's done really well. That's a huge part of why the movie is so. Intense is the the way the main character is portrayed. So yeah. incredibly nuanced and just the look on his face throughout the movie just... He's, he turns grey and old yeah. and
1: harrowed. He's very fragile to begin with and it's a real transformation. He al- almost looks like a very old man at the end and his eyes are so empty and uh, hurt. Yeah,
0: and I read that once the movie was done filming. He returned to school uh, and... Uh, he was so thin and frail and he had, like, gotten grey hairs <laughs> <laughs> during the <laughs> filming. So, yeah, it was a pretty brutal experience. But, uh, but he turned out to be a, an actor after that. Yeah, yeah. and did played f- in a lot of things.
1: Yeah, a few war movies as well as a soldier and stuff. So that's mm. a bit funny. Yeah. The film itself, Elam uh, Klimov and uh, Adamovich, they've been trying to make it for about eight years. And um, this period they've been trying to make it, it's... In the aftermath of uh, what's called Krushnikov's The thaw, the de-Stalinized uh, time. And And um, at first, you'd, you'd have like, after Stalin died, Khrushchev had this idea of opening up some of the culture scenes and some of the, the prisoners, the gulag and that sort of stuff. And um, when he was ousted, there was a bit of a stagnation. And this is uh, early 60s. That kind of back and forth went on for a bit. So both Klimov and his wife, a well-known director at the time, had a lot of projects that were either halted or stopped through this uh, censorship. Her name was Sheptinko, and they were like part of uh, like Moscow Film Intelligencer. Yeah, I haven't seen any of her movies, but apparently they're quite interesting, quite sort of poetic.
0: Um, yeah. And so even though there was sort of a cultural opening of the Soviet Union after Stalin, Mm. it it was still a very slow process. And uh, for such a totalitarian and um, sort of all-encompassing system as communism under the Soviet Union was, change is bound to be pretty slow. It wasn't until like the 80s where the rules opened up enough for the movie to be made. And that was, you know, a decade before the Soviet Union collapsed, so...
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. The film was quite a big success, actually, both artistically and commercially in Russia. And as I said, it Klimov himself, him, his mother, and his baby brother had been evacuated from their home during the Battle of Stalingrad. And uh, he drew on those experiences for the film. And there's a quote, he says, As a young boy, I had been in hell. Had I included everything I knew and shown the whole truth... Even I could not have watched it. So, I mean, this movie is probably one of the most intense films I've ever seen. (laughs) And it's still not nearly as intense as real life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I read a quote from him um, also that was basically, I knew a lot of parts of this movie were not things people would want to see. Mm. But, you know, in the end he thought, you know, well, then they won't watch it. But it needs to be made. It needs to be made as a testament to the war and as a message for peace. Yeah because it is one of the truly
1: anti-war films like there's no um, exciting elements of action most of the soldier stuff isn't really shown it's mostly from a civilian's perspective and violence is mostly from well, the would an-
0: be recruits perspective Yeah, he, he never yeah. really fully joins the partisans yeah, yeah. so he's always on the outside and he, he never has any sort of yeah uh, agency as a partisan
1: yeah he's on the outside and he meets up with other civilians on the way yeah. It's very bleak and it uh, has a lot to do with like hunger and suffering. Yeah, um, Not so much to do with shooting of guns as such. Well, the such.
0: shooting of guns is always sort of perpetrated towards yeah. the main characters. Yeah. In, yeah, in he this doesn't movie. shoot
1: any guns. No. He has one at one point. But
0: <laughs> yeah, he has one and tries to care for it, but he, mm. he never... Well, he doesn't fire it until the end, which mm. we can discuss later. But mm. uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's an incredibly unglamorous portrayal mm. of war. Yeah. And uh, that's what makes the anti-war message really, really come through. But I would say also that it's quite a good propaganda movie in its own way, yeah. like um, Absolutely. for the, the Soviet partisans uh, and the Soviet Union. As far as I know, the reason it didn't pass censorship to begin with was because it was too naturalistic in its portrayal, like sort of a... Debased cultural thing, like it's it wasn't up to the standards of Soviet propaganda.
1: Yeah, I mean it's rough, and unlike a lot of Russian war movies, it has to be said there has there's a precedent for this type of film. Other films have also kind of had a more problematic view of the experiences from World War Two. Yeah, but uh, this goes a long way further than most.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's strange to think that such a, such an anti-war movie would be made in the Soviet Union, considering how big the focus on armed forces and war is in the Soviet Union. Like they're constantly at war with the world, like the Cold War. It is interesting, though I wouldn't necessarily see it as just an anti-war movie. It does try to depict the horrors that went on in Belarus during the Second World War, the invasion of Mm. Belarus. And there was a lot of horrific things that took place there. They deported nearly 400,000 people. And Mm. I think nearly one million people got killed. Mm. It was brutal. And 600 villages, like the one depicted in this movie, was burned to the ground with all its inhabitants, like levels of atrocity that are hard to depict and hard to, you know, wrap your your mind around, really. Which is why I think this this film is very important in that Mm. way because Mm. it forces you to deal with the realities of war. I mean, obviously it's fiction, but it's reality, you know portraying things that really happened.
1: Yeah, and from a perspective that most films that deal with war don't.
0: Yeah, it's Um, quite unflinching.
1: Yeah, and as you said, it's really well acted. And I I, I like, um, there's something, you know, almost clumsy and frail about the acting like they have these scenes of young people the children
0: laughing yeah and in it's the, almost in the beginning kind of forced, especially
1: yeah it's kind of forced like a nervous laughter like you see kids do in a way yeah
0: and i like to say karchenko in the beginning he's mm. always he's always smiling and it's a, sort of a nervous smile sometimes but it's he seems like genuinely like a pretty really happy kid very realistically portrayed <laughs> Well, he is an actual yeah. kid. And but you see him
1: playing at the beach, yeah, looking for a gun so that he can join the forces.
0: It comes across mm. as very natural, yeah, which makes the horrors that take place later that much more impactful. Yeah. As he transforms,
1: he just looks so brutal. And yeah,
0: I would say that's, the, the, that, that's like the core of the movie yeah. is his transformation yeah. through this sort of um, crucible of war hell mm. from a happy normal kid. Mm. in a small village to this person who's seen way too much suffering in his short life.
1: Yeah. He doesn't have the tools to deal with it. So he Not becomes, at all. he just becomes completely destroyed. Yeah. Very obviously he has PTSD.
0: Like what you would call during World War 1 shell shock. You yeah. Know? He has that thousand yard stare mm. at the end. Mm. And it's incredibly sad
1: and also very beautiful.
0: It is. Beautiful. uh, It's a very beautiful movie.
1: Yeah, it it looks amazing. And the sound design, especially, I think, is just uh, so striking.
0: The sound design is really incredible, I think. Especially with, like, the small almost... There's not that much music in the movie, but there is some very striking use of music during parts of it. The um,
1: composer is called Oleg Janchenko. And it's uh, kind of like uh, filled with this hum of machines and like a dystopian symphony of broken waltzes and uh, screams. And
0: uh, yeah, And sometimes there's just atmospheric noise yeah. and, and sort of distorted noise. And uh, what I really like also is the sort of almost the leitmotif use of, of sound in itself. Mm-hmm. Like um, yeah. often when there's a death occurring, there's this sound of flies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you sort of connect sounds with different things throughout the movie,
1: yeah, they also use a bit of Mozart here and there, yeah, a couple of times
0: and some uh, and some some German yodelling music yeah. and some during the later really really brutal uh scenes where the German forces are burning down this village mm. with like people inside the houses and just murdering people and laughing. It's juxtaposed with this uh waltz music and like mm. happy yodeling music and it's just blaring from speakers and there's s- a big contrast there yeah. yeah and it's you know it reminded me uh, a lot of uh, solo yeah <laughs> the sort of uh, idiotic grins yeah. as they massacre innocent yeah. people That's and and, and point, they're yeah. they're so joyful yeah. and they're just having the time of their life
1: yeah that scene sticks out as the kind of crazed lunatic antics of these super violent, uh, horrible people. Yeah. You have this close up of a German guy just rattling his face back <laughs> yeah, and forth. That's scene.
0: That <laughs> just, sticks with me. Yeah.
1: It's just a weird image yeah. in the middle. And it's almost as if you could feel they taken out of the memory or something. It has a yeah. lot of those nice touches that feel like more like somebody's memory than uh, like a literary device. Or yeah, for prototype.
0: sure especially the violent scenes, uh, remind me a bit of uh, Freie Wille, the free will yeah. uh, in the flashback scene yeah. or the start where it's a lot like a memory. Yeah. And, and uh, the director, he uses some methods, I think, to, to make it more dreamlike. Mm. Like there's some consistency issues that he, I think he forcefully uses. Mm. You're not quite sure what's going on all the mm. time during the most intense scenes, Mm. which makes it... And and the sort of uh, hard cuts and stuff really makes it seem almost dreamlike. And of course, it's shot really well. The framing, everything is really beautiful. And the contrast of these intense close-ups of faces and stuff.
1: Yeah, he uses faces a lot, actually. Yeah, As you said, a bit like the free will, a lot is communicated through facial expressions. Uh, Not so much dialogue.
0: No, it doesn't have so much dialogue because... For large parts of the movie, there's really only uh, Flora. And he's just trying to survive, basically.
1: There's a specific scene uh, with sound design that I just found so wonderful. And it's after Flora's been dismissed, he's not allowed to join. He meets this girl in the woods, who he's seen before a couple of times. They're out laughing and crying and just messing about when the bombs start to hit. Yeah. And unlike a lot of, like, movie explosions, this isn't, like, fiery, uh, wonderful, uh, colorful stuff. It's just smoke and dirt flying in the air. Yeah. And it looks really devastating.
0: And it looks like they really fired actual shells.
1: Yeah, I think they probably did, actually.
0: There's a lot of things they did in this movie that are pretty insane by modern standards. Like, uh, they had live rounds and all the guns and stuff.
1: yeah. There's a rumor, at least, that they actually shot some rounds towards the actor or something something like that. Honestly.
0: Yeah, I read that Like, uh, real live ammunition was flying yeah. like four inches above Biora's face uh, during the cow scene. That's pretty intense. I can understand why he sort of came back to school with a couple of gray hairs. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but what happens after the bombing is that this um, sound design completely changes and you have this uh, uh, tinnitus, high-pitched, Ringing in
0: his ears. Ringing. And
1: and all the other sounds are lower and muted, stingy and kind of sharp. And it feels really realistic in the way that uh, when you've had overexposed sounds, it feels very strong.
0: Yeah. And also sort of from that point on adds Mm. to the sort of dream-like nightmarish quality. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of.
1: It stays for a while in this kind of weird zone where you're not sure about everything. It's kind of associative.
0: And there are some dream sequences Mm. as well, which also (laughs) are. I'm not sure if they are
1: or not. They might be.
0: (laughs) That's how I understood them. And I think they're meant to be, especially the dancing scene. Yeah. But after that, you don't really contextualize it with him waking up. And then it goes to like Flora and Glashla walking to uh, Flora's village to hide out for a while before they return to the partisans. And because there's no contextualization of the weird dreamlike imagery, when they walk into the village, it almost feels like a continuation of of the dream.
1: There's like this longer section. You don't have like a a clear cut or differentiation between when it has this dreamlike feel to when it's supposed to be clearly happening the situation there yeah. to them. Yeah,
0: it really fr- accentuates the the memory-like feeling yeah. of the thing.
1: It feels unreal.
0: Yeah, and uh, like the scene where they sit down to eat and there's like these dumplings or whatever uh, on the table that, yeah, with well, flies around. The entire
1: scene when they return to the village is so strong. Yeah. Because uh, you can immediately tell it's there's something very wrong. Yeah. You know, the, the food's been uh, left and uh, there's nobody there the, the Sanderson is also kind of looming over you and you can you can immediately tell that it's gone bad yeah and flora he's obviously in denial yeah uh, he just thinks uh what's going on they left the food out that's weird uh, oh yeah my mum has obviously gone to this other place let's go and meet them and uh Glashner at this point she she's freaked out uh she doesn't know what to say and yeah, as you said, they have all these flies going about it. Yeah, really I think that's the first s-
0: scene where you hear the flies, and in that context, it's obvious that everyone is dead.
1: Uh, you can feel it. You can really you feel that. Yet. Yeah, you,
0: you don't see it, but it's definitely like, <laughs> yeah. oh, they're dead. Yeah. They're dead. And then he treks uh, Glasha over this sort of uh, swamp to a place where he imagines they might be hiding out.
1: He thinks they're at this island nearby, and uh, this is one of the really. Uh, wonderful bits I think of the movie when he's dragging her along and she turns around to look at the village and it's almost like a horror movie moment (laughs) it's just a brief flash and you see all the bodies piled up behind the house and it's even though you know the dead you've been thinking for a long time just seeing it there briefly is just a shock yeah and she quickly turns around and hurries after she doesn't say anything
0: no she's incredibly distraught and also on on his behalf I think and you know, Flora is like, at this point, he's he's going insane almost. Yeah. He's he's really losing it. Yeah. His hearing is all weird. His parents and s- siblings are all dead, apparently, but he mm. doesn't want to face that. Yeah, he hasn't
1: picked up on it yet. He's really in denial. I uh, think he sort
0: of understands that yeah. they might not be alive, yeah, he, but he doesn't want to believe it. Yeah,
1: he, he doesn't pick it up. And so he, he drags her through a bog to a, uh, on the way, which is, seems so unnecessary, because they could probably just go around or something. The water's clear on the other side we see later, yeah. but just through this muddy bog, and it's like really dirty and ugly and uh, desperate and intense. It's
0: a really and, horrible scene.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's just going nuts. Yeah. And he looks more and more desperate. Uh, it does.
0: But then they find the remnants of the village and stuff, and they're all stuck out in the woods with little to no food. And, yeah. And is it the mayor, the guy who's been burned with gasoline?
1: I think this is the old man we see in the beginning. Yeah, but
0: I think that's the mayor of the village. Okay, I didn't pick that up. Because <clears throat>
1: yeah, because the first person we actually see in the film is an old man who's telling the children not to look for guns, which they're doing playfully because they want to join the army. And so uh, here he's burnt to crisp and he's saying, what did I say?
0: Yeah, he's like lying on yeah. some peat. Uh, and uh, just with a circle of villagers around mm. him, and he's he looks terrible. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it looks like a scene out of HBO's Chernobyl. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's really bad. He's
1: badly charred. Yeah, uh, and yeah.
0: he tells them, you know, what did I say? He yeah. shouldn't have gone looking for guns. I don't think it would have mattered either way. Honestly, no. <laughs>
1: but um,
0: oh. yeah. it's a horrible scene, and I love that it's so unflinching. It yeah. doesn't like just sh- not show it. It really shows it. Yeah. Which, throughout the movie, I feel is quite respectful to survivors of these kinds of things. Yeah. Because they actually had to deal with that shit. Yeah. And so when you try to, I don't know, poeticize it or glamorize it or, hold on, glamorize, but sort of make it less horrible, I guess. It's not real to their experience because they live with those memories, you know.
1: A good example of that, I think, uh, is from the beginning of the movie, before all this is broken out, the typical mother of Russia, you kind of imagine this propaganda of like a person who's proud of a son going yeah. into war, she's supporting him. His mother is desperate. She's screaming, don't go. If you go, kill me and kill your twin siblings. Yeah, with you this know?
0: axe. Here, here's an axe. Uh,
1: yeah, basically that's what you're doing if you go. Do not go. You're destroying us. She's desperate. She's crying. It's a look at the people. And they're out there in the bog. They're struggling. with just They don't have any food. They don't have any resources. They're cold.
0: Like I said it's unflinching yeah it shows you the brutalities of how war actually is mm. um,
1: just before they get to the the settlement there there's a scene where Glushner and Flora they meet this guy from the village this is m- maybe at the heightened point of like the weirdness intensity after the bombs yeah where uh, Flory is just freaking out totally. And Glashner, she's so scared and so unstable and kind of hiding a bit behind this village guy. And uh, Flora just starts to scream this primal, intense, terrified, yeah, this horror coming out of him yeah. in his eyes.
0: I think that's like maybe the peak of his natural, like horrific, reaction to the thing yeah well maybe that and when it comes to the sort of gathering of the refugees mm. in the forest he just tries to stick his head yeah. into the sort of mud yeah when they say to him that uh,
1: his parents <laughs> yeah. have been killed he just denies it sticks his head in there Yeah. Kind like of ostracizing
0: goes, himself yeah he goes full ostrich there <laughs> and it's just sad it's, yeah. it's humorous almost yeah. but uh, you can imagine it's absurd yeah, but that's kind of uh, insanity that
1: happens in wartime. You know. Yeah, I like that reaction because it's so naturalistic in a way. You just yep. want to hide yourself, hide yep. your face and not see the world uh, mm. so literally. I mean, it's the kind of thing you'd imagine someone actually might do.
0: Yeah. What do you make of the, the bomb plane scenes that are interspersed throughout the movie?
1: Yeah, because you see them early on in yeah. the beginning, and they're just flying over. There are like
0: four or five uh, of these scenes, yeah. uh, and it's kind of beautiful almost. Yeah,
1: At first it's non-threatening, but then it becomes a herald of, of what well, is it's threatening
0: and, in the fact that it's a bomb plane. You can see that. So, But I think of it as sort of a, a Chekhov's gun almost. Yeah? You see a plane and you know something's going to yeah? happen. You know sooner or later the mm. plane has to drop that bomb. And there's mm. another Chekhov's gun, of course, in this <laughs> movie, which is his gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. which just get fired at yeah, the end, you know. Yeah. Which is the old dodge of if you show up gun in the first act of the play, you have to fire it by the fourth act.
1: Um, but they also use the them planes to drop these flyers, these propaganda flyers. Uh, it's pretty
0: bad propaganda. Yeah,
1: it's not well. It's not propaganda so much. <laughs> it's just a message. Yeah, just
0: taunting. <laughs> yeah. Like exterminate the Jews or uh, like kill all Bolsheviks. Yeah, kill all Bolsheviks.
1: Like that. Yeah, that sort of stuff.
0: But I think even though there's a lot of good scenes throughout the movie i think the most powerful scene is the the burning of the village i think that's sort of the the apex well of, that's the
1: climax of the movie of,
0: of horror in this yeah. movie
1: it's so intense like Fl- it's
0: just full on madness at that point yeah this orgy of violence
1: yeah cuz flores he's left that settlement and ended up at another village where the germans have taken over and yeah. they're herding everybody to a different place Burning heard- them
0: into the church.
1: Yeah. And they say, um, after they lock the door, they say, everyone who doesn't have a kid can come out. Yeah, you can leave. Yeah, and the kids must stay.
0: And he's the only one who leaves, I think.
1: Explicitly, I think he's the only one we see leaving, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they put fire to the place, and they also shoot at it.
0: They shoot at it, they drink, they sing, yeah. they this laugh. This is the party scene. They drive around, they rape some of the stragglers. Um yeah. It's just... Awful, yes, yeah, but it's the set piece is huge, and yeah. the number of actors involved mm. like background actors and stuff mm. there's a lot of moving parts involved, a lot mm. of vehicles mm. like it's chaos, but it's a well choreographed chaos, it's incredibly well put together.
1: Yeah, it has long takes. We're just things happening yeah. slowly, and, and
0: they're uh, burning like actual buildings. Yeah. It doesn't look like set buildings; it looks like real buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, they, well,
1: they probably built them and then burnt them down.
0: I yeah, think. everything looks super realistic, mm. and on such a large scale, that it really you know brings home the horror of it. And then you find out like later that this happened at least six hundred times. Yeah, there's, a,
1: there's like a, a title screen that says that uh, six hundred and twenty something times, oh, uh, villages were burnt. So you, so you can
0: multiply that her by 600 times. It's, it's yeah. just fucking incredible that this was taking place. Like, that was so awful. Yeah. Like I said, it's hard to wrap your head around.
1: You can feel the pain, but the scope is difficult to understand.
0: Yeah. You can imagine, like, say, a hundred of a thing, yeah. but it's hard to imagine when it's, like, up in the millions. <laughs> uh, it's just, it becomes abstract at that point. <laughs> Like you you read about the Holocaust, like how many people died, but like how many individual fates that actually concerned us.
1: You can't grasp it. It becomes a number or a symbol. Right. And then you have to go into the individual's perspective to really...
0: Yeah, like our poor monkey brains can't handle that shit. (laughs) And then there's the ending, of course, which is super interesting the way they did it.
1: Yeah, because the Germans, again, they get captured by the Russians.
0: Yeah, or the Soviets. And um, basically, they capture the commando of the forces that burn down the village. Mm. And you have the the German commander of the unit saying, uh, oh, no, I, I, I've I never killed anyone. Mm. I haven't killed a fly. Yeah. And then you have his uh, second in command who's like, you pathetic coward. fool, <laughs> you yeah. coward. Yeah. You people don't deserve to live. Like, that's why, and he's the one who gave the order, everyone who doesn't have children can, yeah. can go from the church before we burn it. Because... Yeah. You won't be reproducing, and he says not all races have the right to reproduce, yeah. and we will win. Yeah. If not uh, today, then tomorrow.
1: Yeah, you know? he's a really hateful Nazi.
0: Yeah, and the partisans just stand there and just silent witness of this idiotic fucking speech, yeah. and uh, and they execute them, yeah. obviously. Yeah, and then in the aftermath of that, you have Yosha uh, who goes over to, well, he's like in the ruins of this of this village and the partisans are leaving and he goes over to this young kid who looks even younger than him. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of symbolic for maybe somebody who hasn't quite gone through all the horrors he has yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, because he's kind of in a similar situation that uh, Florio was to begin with. He's just starting out. Now he's the new kid.
0: Yeah, in like two big clothes and a yeah. gun. Yeah, clean clothes. Him. Yeah.
1: Because Flora starts out wearing this nice dress (laughs) when he first becomes a soldier.
0: Yeah, then he has to give away his boots. Then like every every part of his uniform (laughs) is just trampled and destroyed eventually, and uh, eventually uh, he stands alone there looking at sort of something out of frame. It pans down and there's this picture of Hitler.
1: Yeah, lying in the mud.
0: Yeah, and he raises his gun and uh, and then. Now you can understand that the original intended title yeah. of the movie, <laughs> Kill yeah. Hitler, Yeah, yeah. he well, takes aim and fires.
1: He shoots at the frame and then the film goes into a different mode. It shows like archival footage of Hitler as an old man to begin with and it kind of reverses the shots so they go backwards and there's a series of pictures from Germany focusing mostly on Hitler.
0: And it's going back in time yeah. and the shots are reversing so it's sort of symbolic of of undoing the mess yeah. um, that was created. Ostensibly, this sort of interpretation by Hitler himself, he was the catalyst of all this, which is pretty naive interpretation of the war, but I don't think it sort of dampens the message necessarily. Well, I mean, it's about
1: trying to have some kind of revenge against the source of evil, I suppose. Yeah. And um, it's, the, the montage ends up on a picture of a woman and a child, which... You can easily interpret it as Hitler. At this point, Fourier stops up and he doesn't shoot anymore because that's basically an innocent person that hasn't actually done anything yet. Well, and, it's uh,
0: open to interpretation because yeah. the movie stops at that point. Maybe he shot him. I don't know.
1: That's no, no, no. he doesn't actually fire a gun at, at the... Um, the scene continues. He's, he's, he's standing there and he's uh, kind of hesitating and doesn't shoot. He's kind of confronted by the like the idea of well, evil they, and innocence.
0: Well, you you don't see him putting down the gun. You just see a later scene where he, he, he catches up with them. Mm. So you, he might have fired. You don't know.
1: I, I think the implication is pretty clear that he, he doesn't. Is He stops up.
0: Maybe. And also that photograph is a pretty famous mm. photograph of Hitler mm. as a baby. And it was actually altered for this movie. Okay. Because the original photo is him just sitting in a chair. For this scene, they put him on his mother's lap okay. to sort of make the impact more. Which is a photo which something. is why I, I mentioned earlier that this is a really good propaganda movie mm. because it's not necessarily interested in telling completely like realistic or necessarily fact specific telling of uh, the horrors of war. Mm. It's especially towards the end; it's super symbolic.
1: Mm. Yeah, all the way through is quite symbolic. I yeah.
0: Think, yeah, I got to be honest though; I the ending is probably the part I like the least the archival footage and stuff. Mm. It's interesting and a bold move to do it. Mm. But I think it's sort of... Um, it simplifies the war in a way I don't quite like.
1: So that's where my interpretation comes in because the way I think of it is that in his anger, desperation and in his horror, he attacks back in the way he can, shooting this frame and he sees all this, these images of Hitler. Yeah, He's filled with hate, but then confronted with a child, Hitler, he stops up and is unable to continue like, the violence. Yeah. You
0: know? There are multiple ways to read the scene, I think. Yeah. Um, so, I mean,
1: my, I, I, my idea is that by shooting the kid, he would basically be shooting himself because then he's attacking civilians just as he's been attacked himself. And in that way, the film kind of contextualizes the hate a bit and the problems of war and violence in general.
0: Well, see, I read it as him actually killing Hitler. Yeah. as a baby, putting an end to it in his mind because the horrors are so overwhelming that mm-hmm. he wants to sort of undo everything to sort of mentally make that work in his head all the shit he's seen mm-hmm. he can't really deal with it so he has to go to a place where he, he can sort of undo it at that yeah, point yeah,
1: but I, that's how it starts out as, as how I read it but then it, it changes
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I don't think as it, you say,
1: it's up to interpretation I don't think
0: it matters actually that much mm-hmm. whether he does it or not because the point of the movie isn't Whether or not he kills Hitler in his (laughs) mind, (laughs) you know, it's it's about the horrors of war, and I think it aptly shows it throughout the movie.
1: Yeah, but the civilian point of view is the point, as far as I'm concerned, and that's when it starts to question if it's okay to kill your enemies, even all they've done as civilians.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, like I said, I wasn't quite satisfied with the ending. Not that it diminishes the movie, I think, just personally because. Like you said, it can be interpreted as him, you know, personally in his mind going to that place and mm. and uh, reversing everything. But I think you can also sort of interpret the scene as the sort of will to undo everything mm. would be possible if you could just remove the catalyst mm. for war, yeah. which in this interpretation is a pretty simplistic, like big man theory yeah. of Adolf Hitler being the catalyst for this, which is. A pretty common conception of World War II, actually, mm. that Hitler had a, like, a really large personal part in bringing it about. I read a couple of books on World War II, mm. and one that sort of vibes with this a lot is William Shirer's The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, mm. which does really focus a lot on the people mm. and persons and, and sort of people in power. But I also read a, another more contemporary take on the sort of whole history of the Nazi Party and mm. World War II. And, um, which is called The Coming of the Third Reich by Richard J. Evans. And it's a lot more objective and it sort of shows the growth of far uh, far-right organizations in yeah, Germany, absolutely. you know, from the late 1800s, actually, mm. and all the youth movements and everything. It was like a really fertile ground for fascism at that time. Yeah, yeah and so, I mean, of course...
1: Germany wasn't the only country that had
0: fascist leaders no, at that point. That's also right, and which is really a, also makes, a criticism of yeah. of the sort of view that of uh, Nazi Germany as the only evil at the time, yeah. which is uh, by contemporary historians viewed as incredibly simplistic. But my problem is this: yeah. if you don't read too much into it, that can sort of be seen as a. Bit too simple ending,
1: Yeah, I think. But maybe that functioned well in its time for the people who just wanted a film yeah. to hate on the Nazis. Yeah,
0: uh, And again, the propaganda effect of it is quite mm. excellent. And of course, it's propaganda for something that is really important, which yeah. is war is hell.
1: It doesn't really have much nuance in the German characters.
0: No, I was thinking about that too. There are no good Germans. They're all just monsters yeah. in this movie, yeah.
1: And so it's not I, f- I feel it's justified from the perspective that, I mean, they were acting monsters and you didn't really experience any other side from, as a civilian from Russia.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, th- there's mm. probably so many people in Belarus that didn't experience any nice Germans. They <laughs> yeah. literally came and torched yeah, you, your village with yeah. most of them in, inside the uh, the buildings. and And from that perspective, you know, this viewpoint is mm. totally valid. But it's not a sort of a, a balanced view of, of uh, wartime during the Second World War. It is definitely from a specific viewpoint.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very subjective. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's like a emotional and poetic to the force of uh, the horrors of war from a very specific point of view. And it, it works very well as that.
0: Yeah, that doesn't diminish the impact. If anything, oh. I think that, that makes it all the more sort of true to itself. Yeah. Like I said, true to the victims of all these atrocities. It's a very... The movie seems incredibly respectful in a way for such a grotesque and horrible movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's grotesque in what happens, but not in its perspective.
0: Yeah, because what happened was grotesque. Yeah.
1: You know? There's a lot of scenes that are, are very good. It has some nice scenes mirroring each other in the... Early film, as Flora is first joining the soldiers, there's a, this photo shoot where he's gathering with all the other people, there's loads of them, just this big picture. And it's really sort of hopeful and fun and he's still in his clean, nice dress and he's got his gun he's really proud of it. Yeah, and He's quite happy and he's excited to meet all these new people. It's a good scene. Uh, and
0: I, I was thinking in a Hollywood movie that would be sort of a snapshot and then you'd see the photograph, yeah. but that doesn't happen here. No, and no, no. no you don't, you <laughs> don't I'm glad this. it doesn't.
1: Uh, but it's kind of a fun and charming scene. And at the very end you have another photo shoot where he's forced to the ground, gun to his head by these Nazi officers and they're smiling and having a nice time and the house is burning in the background, (laughs) and he's just traumatized and terrorized. Yeah, and and they're there to take a sort of tourist photo. Yeah, and he looks like this old man who's destroyed. Yeah. So they take an image there, and the the changes that's gone between those times is so powerful. It's
0: very powerful and artistically beautiful. Yeah. Incredibly well done, sort of the juxtaposition of those two ideas. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of it throughout the movie mm. where you juxtapose, you know, good and wholesome stuff with the horrible shit that happens later.
1: Mm. And for example, the use of animals is quite interesting. Yeah. This German general, uh, he has this like this little monkey or simian creature yeah. on his shoulder, which is...
0: Marmot or something. Yeah,
1: he's kind of uh, cozing up to it. and uh, yeah,
0: he's, like he, a, he's like a real German like super villain yeah. with a little pet on his shoulder. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> And he's, he's, like, totally unconcerned about the lives of the other people, but he's, like, really connecting with this Snuggling animal. with that little creature. <laughs> yeah. so. as everyone around him is kind of screaming, shouting, killing, yeah. or being killed. Yeah. And, it's
0: so horrible.
1: Yeah. This dream sequence early on, when the bombs have landed and there's this tinnitus sound, they're built a hut of these branches, and uh, this stalk comes up and uh, looks at them as they sleep. That's when the kind of the dream sequence Starts. Yeah, it's just looking at them and walking around them as the rain pours down on them. It's kind of bodice.
0: tranquil and weird. Yeah, I sort of took it as well. You can take it as symbolism mm. of sort of fecundity or fertility or like the sort of hope of a, a fertile future, mm. maybe for these two young people.
1: Yeah, because Glushna speaks of that. She says she wants. Uh, he wants children and a happy yeah.
0: future. And then there's the scene where she's dancing on a thing, and it's at that point I think it's pretty obvious that it's a dream. Because yeah. it's raining that,
1: on them dancing. Yeah, and they're
0: the, shaking trees and yeah. and dancing in the rain. Mm. And after that, you have the village scene. So it's interestingly done. Yeah. And then you have the cow, of course. Yeah. They try to steal a cow for the refugees and the.
1: Yeah, in the first, the the, the villagers from his own village. Yeah. Uh,
0: and uh, walking across a the field, they get shot at and um, his sort of, uh, you call him uncle. I don't think he's the, yeah, his the companion. Yeah. yeah, his companion. And yeah. he gets shot and then the cow gets shot mm. and it's all very naturalistic and mm. horrifyingly done. There's this close-up of the cow's eye mm. that's really intense.
1: Yeah, you can feel its confusion and pain. Yeah, you can really
0: sense yeah, that yeah. the animal doesn't know yeah. why it's dying.
1: Because they're dragging it a- across this field, and it's getting really foggy, and yeah. uh,
0: and you have all these tracer rounds, so you can see the shots actually being fired through the night. Like guns, like you said, guns don't play a huge part in this movie, and it's true. But they play a part as sort of a just a, a foil to the protagonist.
1: Yeah, they do kill a bunch of people. He knows.
0: <laughs> yeah, they do. But yeah, incredible movie. I think yeah. everybody should watch this movie. Yeah,
1: it's so strong. It's it's so poetic and beautiful and yeah. harrowing
0: and intense. It's like as poetic as a really deep dive into the horrors of war can be, I think.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a masterpiece of cinema, I think. Really?
0: Yeah. I agree.
1: It's one of the great Russian films of all time, mm. I think. There's a lot of subtext that I think is interesting. For example, you never see Flora's father. He's probably gone. He might have died in the war. And that might explain some of both his mother's behavior and he's lacking a male figure, I think, to look up to. And he's yeah. looking for camaraderie.
0: Well, I also interpret that as why he sort of seeks to be a partisan. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe either because his dad was a partisan and went off or, or mm. because his dad was killed and he, and he just wants to have some direction in life yeah. or something like that.
1: and he really looks up to the men, the soldiers. Yeah. And... Um, a specific character who's kind of like the, the general or the officer of the bunch of partisans, Koshak. And he also turns up at the end as the leading figure of the partisans as they yeah. capture the Germans.
0: It's interesting because m- most of his scenes are just close-ups of his face Yeah, looking really just stern.
1: Yeah, he looks stern. <laughs> He's the guy who decides that Floria won't be joining them for the war effort yep. and uh, kind of sends him off on his journey like a desperate civilian rather than as a soldier and acting.
0: Yeah. I thought he was a sort of uh, kind of idealized uh, partisan leader. In a way, but he's, you
1: know, there's, one of the first times you see him, he's Froyer is stationed out at the borders of the encampment and he's got a gun and he's orders to shoot somebody who doesn't know the password. Uh, he sees this guy and he says, password, it doesn't get an answer. And then he shows up and he hasn't shot him and it's the leader, Kosha. And he says, you should have shot me because I didn't give you the password. He's really stern. And he's just delighted to be talked to by this guy. He <laughs> l- looks really up to him. And he says, so there's uh, extra work for you. And he's just happy about that. And then you see Glusha coming after him. And there's like there's a tension there between... There's an
0: implied yeah. sort of romantic or a, a liaison or something yeah. like that yeah. between
1: them. Later on, there's a, there's a scene where... Is an eye contact going on between the three of them, and I feel that's the point where Koshak decides that Floria won't be joining them for the war effort. You don't really get an insight into his thought patterns. I mean, there's something you can you can imagine
0: him. Uh, him not wanting somebody who will attract the attention of uh, Glasha. Yeah. Maybe
1: well, he doesn't bring her along either. But, I mean, it's difficult to say if it's a kind of sympathy for this fool not to join the army, but I don't think it's that.
0: Well, I read it as a bit like, oh, uh, so they're into each other now? I'm, mm. I'm just going to leave them both behind, maybe? Yeah. And well, it could be. You, you sort of have to make up your own mind about it.
1: Yeah, there's something unsaid and a bit unsettling about this character, I feel. They don't delve into it. But he's not entirely idealized. There's something wrong, I think.
0: I think he seems quite idealized. But I agree, there are some to his character. And then there's Rube which is the kind of leader of the refugees from the village. Yeah. Yeah. And Fiora also looks up to him, yeah. and they get sort of, it's quite nice, really, yeah. and it makes it all the more sad when, when he gets killed and shot, Yeah, when they're dragging this cow or the field. Because they left the, the camp to get
1: like some food or some supplies, and halfway there, because they've got two others with them, there's just a bomb, and they've died. Like some from A to B, they're suddenly
0: they're just dead. Yeah, they're dead. And it's so harsh. And you just find the foot.
1: Yeah. And it's just difficult to grasp, but they're just gone. Yeah. You know, that's war. That's a good scene as well, I think. Yeah. It shows like the abruptness of death in that kind of situation. Yeah.
0: And you just have to move on and mm. you know, carry on doing And what they've you're, had what this banter. Doing.
1: They've had this nice banter along the way. Yeah. Talking about things and running from the guns and looking at the moon and talking about that poetically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's well done. It's really well done. The the sort of camaraderie and the abruptness of how it just falls apart. Mm. Yeah, it's poignant. Yeah. Everything fails, this young Everything man. Everything fails. Come and see. Come yeah. and see death.
1: cinematically, it does a lot of these nice, subtle things, like vertigo effect, the, the contra-zoom, where you pull your camera back and zoom in at the same time. Yeah,
0: the the jaws effect.
1: Yeah, it does that very subtly two or three times throughout the movie. Mm. Like For the photo shoot, for example, they use it... And uh, I think also the scene where he's got his gun and looking at the picture of Hitler. Yeah. It's just these very subtle, small effects that just gives it a nice a poetic feel.
0: It has a lot of these nice shots. There's a lot of creative solutions and a yeah. very competently done. Yeah. And everything really services the movie. They're always applied in a way that works. Mm. Um, it doesn't feel off. Like just the choice of what's a still shot mm. or what's a moving shot and everything is... Uh, Craftsmanship is really good. Mm. That combined with the excellent sound design and the music and the acting, it's just a really tour de force. Yeah, this
1: dream scene as well. They they have these rainbows in the the sun and the rain and the stuff and the dancing. It just looks really nice. Mm. Uh, It's interesting for a film to be both so dreamlike and so realistic at the same time.
0: Uh, Yeah, right? But that's the sort of... The memory-like quality of it—it's mm. both real and dreamlike because it really feels like someone who has been through all this shit, yeah. thinking back and just experiencing the memories and the sounds and the the emotions. And it is disjointed, right? And it's jumbled together, and it's uh, chaotic and sort of poetic. And yeah.
1: yeah, it's also one of the few movies I can think of where you show like a child going insane or going mad just yeah. driven through terror into absolute
0: uh, madness for sure it would still be a great movie if it was an older character but the fact that he's 14 just really brings it to that next level of of sadness hmm. and
1: horror yeah this was actually the last movie that director made yeah uh, i've heard some speculation that they like the project itself was too intense and stuff. But I haven't found any information to back that up. But what definitely happened was that he was in the board for the uh, film advisory in Russia. And he got so frustrated with like the back and forth between film um, censorship and all that sort of stuff. It just got frustrated. In the end, he just couldn't be bothered to make
0: film Yeah, I, I read a quote from the set. He, he, he basically got, got bored of filmmaking too and, and yeah. felt he had done what he could do to the best of his ability.
1: Yeah. As the last film you make, this is a pretty good way to go out.
0: Yeah, it would suck to make a sort of a a shitty rom-com after that. Mm. (laughs) So it's a good high note to go out on as a director. I think you can really, you can put your name to that movie. (laughs) It won't be, uh, what's it called, Alan Smithy? Yeah. (laughs) Sort of pseudonym for Hollywood directors who don't want to put their name to the movie. Yeah, you're
1: ashamed of what you've done. No, no, I I really like it. um, As you said, it when you feel, maybe not everybody, but absolutely most people should see it. And I think for people who even imagine like war as an entertaining or useful thing in society, to have like this traumatized perspective is really important.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like L.M. Klimov said, a lot of people won't want to watch this movie. Yeah. But I think most people should watch this movie.
1: Hmm.
0: Maybe just because of that shows you things you don't want to see and stuff you don't want to confront about humanity.
1: So Sven, what's your recommendation?
0: I have quite a simple recommendation today. It's a uh, subreddit on reddit.com.
1: What is a subreddit?
0: Well, Reddit is sort of a an aggregate site of sort of different links and images and stuff you can post and share and comment on. Yeah,
1: like threads. Of
0: yeah, threads, topics. forum threads almost. And uh, you have sort of uh, different subreddits, which is sort of like smaller forums where you can discuss specific things mm. and share specific images or, or whatever. Mm like you have for gaming or you have something for news and stuff or more niche stuff like very specific games or very specific sort of music genres or whatever. There's one uh, subreddit called shitty food porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it's uh it's cool because there's two types of posts there. There are sort of shitty food that's plated really well and shot really beautifully. <laughs> So you'll have, like, a cheap sausage and some macaroni
1: Mm.
0: and, like, a ketchup smear. But it's done, like, really, like, beautifully, like you'd see in a high-end restaurant, something like that. But it's still really vile. (laughs) And then you have the really horrible stuff, which is shitty food porn, which is just really shitty food. Like, there are some really horrible posts there. Among other things, there's this photo of a... A mayonnaise bologna cake. Oh, uh. just, it's just—it's so vile. It's just frosted with mayo, and like it's so repulsive. Some of the stuff there is like a, a microwaved horse, like a horse meat with some milk and microwaved <laughs> uh, like gummy bears. Oh my god! <laughs> and like I think that's posted specifically. Like he ate that. Like. It's just so horrible, and I love going there and just seeing what people are posting. And sometimes it's just people posting their like sad and atrocious meals <laughs> they're eating alone. <laughs> I just I love the variety of horribleness you can get at a subreddit. Yeah, that, that's my recommendation. Just go check that out if you want to be entertained for a while.
1: Well, uh, that sounds like um, the worst impulses of human food creation gathered into one place.
0: Yeah. And I love I love cooking, and I love real food porn, yeah. so, so it's just a nice sort of break from that. Oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah. So do you have a, a recommendation? I do and I don't. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't. Well, that's it then.
1: <laughs> it's not exactly a recommendation, but I wanted to talk a bit about a concept in light of this film, because um, whilst the goings-on in Come and See is what is often called as... Hard power, use of war or financial force, different Milita- Military
0: might and...
1: Uh... Yeah, there's a different force called uh, soft power, which among other things means the use of culture as a means to induce another nation's ideas and the cultural impact from one country to another. It doesn't have to be a country, but often it is. Yeah, And specifically American culture... The use of soft power in terms of our country, Norway, which I've become very interested in the
0: last few years. It is a very interesting concept.
1: As a social democracy concerned with a welfare state, yeah. has from like the 80s onward been increasingly exposed to the kind of neoliberal Ayn Randian hyper individualization from movies and music and. How that has softly sort of changed perspectives and the ideas and the values in this country.
0: Yeah, because you're constantly being exposed to it, right? Yeah. And I find that very interesting
1: as a person who grew up in the 80s and 90s. I have a memory of values being somewhat different than they are as I perceive them today. Yeah. Where, like in a political discussion, there's usually an idea that whatever you're talking about, the most important baseline is the money. I mean, if the money isn't in place, you can't do it. It's not yeah. possible. Like the, the, the market has to be represented. And the, Whereas I seem to remember as a younger person that you had the idea of what's good for people in general as a baseline. And also money not being unimportant, it's being very relevant, but it's not necessarily superseding the ideas of the culture overall.
0: I really agree. I think that in Scandinavia in general, I think solidarity was a much more important point earlier. We were a lot more isolated from the rest of the world before, you know, the advent of the global community yeah. and now the internet.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think in the late, later years you definitely see this growth of hyper individualism and well, the growth of, you know, of worshiping celebrities and uh, all these kind of mm. k- kinds of things that seem pretty obvious to most people in the Western world. But it wasn't really like that just 50 years ago.
1: It's a subtle change. There's lots of small things that are kind of different. It's interesting to see how other countries have related to the effects of American soft power, like Russia, for example. At some point, they said, we're going to stop the amount of American films coming in and we're going to put more money in our own films so that we focus on our own soft power. And countries like China and uh, South Korea and Japan, they use a lot of resources to build up their own soft power as a counterpoint to ideas from different, uh, let's say, uh, countries or companies. Uh, And in Scandinavia, we haven't really done that. In fact, there's a lot more American movies than there are, well, of course, Norwegian, because we don't make that many movies, but also like Scandinavia in general. You could have imagined that like Swedish and Danish and even English or German films would have a presence because they're closer. And culturally, in many ways, they're closer, but they're much more in the periphery in terms of American culture. There's not been an idea that you should protect yourself in a sense of ideology from a very different culture, who's your ally, of course, but also potentially can inflict uh, harm to society, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting in the context of uh, especially the movie making industry in Norway because. Our movie making industry really looks to the United States, mm. unlike Denmark and Sweden, which mm. have their own like they have a very clear national identity when it comes to yeah, movie that's making
1: tradition. Yeah,
0: and Norway doesn't, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with our sort of su- susceptibility to this uh, soft power, this thought of sort of a global, not culture wars, but you know, culture influence. I mm. guess.
1: Mm. And it kind of uh, affects many aspects of society. It's it's interesting, actually, if you talk about Sweden, because they started a fair few years before Norway, privatizing some of their services. In the 80s, they did a lot of that in England, like the railroads and stuff. Um, Like in
0: general, on a societal level. Yeah, the
1: new public management movement. And these things (laughs) happened, and we've all seen how... Terrible an idea it is, how much um, it maligns normal people and isn't really effective as a system. And yet the last few years, it's been an increasing trend in Norway to implement systems that we know do not work for society. They're not useful. How anyone could possibly believe that implementing them here has any function other than a destructive one is amazing to
0: me. A lot of individuals make a lot of money of it, of course. So it's always the money. But I think the propagandic value of this soft power idea is quite pervasive and powerful. And you see it in the United States too, like people defending privatized healthcare and stuff, Mm -hmm. even though they're suffering from the effects of it. Mm. Like one of the things I often read online, for instance, is... uh, yeah, well, we don't have long waiting times here like you do in socialist hell. You have to wait for like weeks and weeks to get an appointment, yeah. and it's it's not true. <laughs> it's yeah. like you might have to wait for thirty minutes or something, but yeah. it's not like you're getting a free doctor's visit. So, yeah. oh,
1: it used to be free. It's actually starting to cost more and more money, and uh, there's there's more of like tendencies towards like class differences in terms of it's if, true, you're, not, if you have you're unemployed. A- it's a lot more difficult, a lot of these systems, than if you have a lot of money. Well, they
0: we have a ceiling of what you have to pay on your own, That's which true. is uh, around $250 or something. Yeah, yeah. But beyond that, you're not paying for anything. But the point is, there's no doctor's visits or surgeries or anything in Norway mm. that will bankrupt you. Yeah. You know, but it does, of course, the ceiling will affect poorer people a lot more than wealthier people, obviously. Yeah. Um, and there is this trend towards privatization and uh, it's kind of nefarious yeah, and to, sad, m- to my think. mind. And sad, yeah.
1: And, you know, if you look at a lot of these, these 80s films, for example, the stories are always about a person of exception who kind of... Like Star Wars is a great example of just this uh, mythic individual who's chosen to transcend all the troubles of everyone and then save the world or even just an everyday man who happens to be just a a bit clever or a a bit stronger than the other guy and just has a street know-how or something like Die Hard and manages to save the day in like a glorious manner.
0: Yeah, there's this Um, exceptionalism. There's mm. this Nietzschean overtone to it that's quite... uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, even though it's often based in kind of like an everyday guy. But it's sort of Mm. um, exceptional
0: exceptional. everyday people like have the ability to... Like that's part of the... the Philosophical thinking too its, it's not that you—you you have to come from a special place. Mm. You just—you are special.
1: Mm. Yeah, they may be intertwined, of course, and just the idea that there's been a barrage of these, and ever increasingly a barrage of these concepts of, of ideas pervasive in our society.
0: Well, you uh, can see, like with the, especially with the superhero movies, mm. like it's there's incredible volume of uh, Marvel and DC movies. Mm. And all sort of pertain to the idea of exceptional, you know, gifted individuals, mm. and, and um, like they're well-made movies for the most part. Yeah. But they do sort of uh, sell the idea of some people are just better and oh, yeah, and uh, more exceptional. There's
1: not much of a civilian point of view in Avengers. I mean,
0: <laughs> not really. I like I, w- I would have liked to see this director handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just see the aftermath of uh, one of Iron Man's big fights. In the-
1: yeah. <laughs> or one who's just small skirmishes, even, <laughs> yeah. causing PTSD in a yeah. horrid, horrid way.
0: Right. That'd make for an interesting movie. Yeah, I think so.
1: I feel like there's been a normalization of uh, the career politician who seeks, first of all, his or her own gains. Yeah. And is not too concerned about society as a whole. As long as this person and the person in their vicinity have growth. And uh, like the earnings of politicians has gone up. Yeah. There's a term called a welfare profiteer, where you hire a company to do kindergartens, for example. And there's not much oversight. All the um, rubbish clean up in the city. Yeah. And uh, some of these actors are, you know, there to earn money and they're happy to uh, exploit... Normal people in their
0: economy. I think you see it also in combination with, in Europe in general, I think you've seen a move away from, like politicians used to be from a wide variety of sort of professions, Mm. especially academia in Scandinavia Mm. used to be quite prevalent Mm. Uh, not so much anymore, yeah. I think. Um,
1: yeah, there's a new wave of these uh, right-wing politician. They're more populist. Pop- populistic, yeah. They, they come from more like a business side or kind of like market business yeah. type backgrounds. And yeah, it's it's interesting because the entire kind of spectrum has moved towards the right, and the Labour Party isn't, doesn't really necessarily represent labour interests. Yeah. Even though that's the symbol they bear, and that's really sad.
0: Yeah. And I, I do think the whole soft power concept definitely has a lot of influence over these slow moving processes that aren't necessarily easy to detect unless you mm. take a long view. Yeah. And, it, and a broad the, view of what's going on.
1: And the interesting thing about it is that soft power is um, attractive, it seduces rather than demands. And that makes it much more efficient uh, in some cases, not all. I mean, you can't use it for everything, I think, in political means, but it's certainly been effective in many ways. I
0: think it's more and more effective, especially Mm. because we consume more and more media. Mm. And we are thought of more as consumers now than citizens, for instance, which which I think is just a horrible, horrible
1: Mm. concept. You know, there's some of our modern-day epidemics like um, eating disorders, and initially there were these ideas floating around that some cultures were protected from like a concept of eating disorder because they had different body ideals, like, say, Japan or Africa. It turns out when you introduce really cheap junk food and different body ideals through uh, models and trends and movies and stuff, a disjoint starts to happen in the minds of the people and you have the food you consume and the lifestyle you live starts to uh, tear so far away from like, the ideals you have of what a human body should look like and who you are as a person.
0: Well, that's always been changing throughout history, too. Like Body ideals are very plastic in the sense that they are changeable. Yeah. And when the ideal changed, generally, you see a sort of trend towards the ideal.
1: I sometimes also think about these. Um, Wasn't there trend with Asians uh, having operations on their eye to look more Western. As that being like an ideal look,
0: yeah. And you have in India the, the whole skin bleaching yeah, thing to get yeah. whiter skin, and uh, and of course in the black community, often you you have hair straightening and stuff, yeah, and, which is uh, quite an aggressive uh, procedure. Yeah, it can be quite brutal. It's not necessarily nefarious. Like w- if you want straight hair, you want straight hair. Like there's
1: well, individual on an individual basis. Yeah, right. It's on fine. an individual, level. it's fine. It's just as a cultural force, it's worrying.
0: Yeah, it's more the thought that curly hair isn't as valid, or that darker skin isn't as valid. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's it's worrying. And soft power plays a huge part in that, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's important to be aware of it and important to shield oneself from it, I think.
0: Yeah, because you're constantly being bombarded with all these idealistic views of Mm. what a human should look like and act like and think like.
1: Yeah. And the interesting thing about neoliberal point of view is that it presents itself as it not being a point of view it's non-existent, it's just a normative thing, mm. and therefore, in some ways, you communicate that there is no soft power, there is no uh, ideal that you should follow, it's just this attractive thing that you should buy into, out of your own personal, individual joy.
0: Yeah, uh, as a consumer, uh, you and should choose the correct, yeah. vote with your wallet, Yeah, that's, the, so that's, that's uh, a term I fucking hate. Like, something's bad with this company. Vote with your wallet. Yeah. What? Like, no. Regulate that fucking shit, dude. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you don't like pesticides in your food world? Just don't buy
0: pesticides, then. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's just so, so disgusting.
1: Yeah. But anyway, so um, it's not exactly a recommendation, but uh, those are some thoughts I had concerning the film as a a concept that's worth thinking
0: about. Yeah. As a soft power idea, this movie is pretty positive.
1: Yeah, its function is is a good one. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I I can understand why the Soviet Union didn't want it to be made initially because of the sort of pacifist really super anti-war message of the movie, yeah.
1: I found this this movie which is so intense and troubling and harrowing and difficult to watch much less nefarious than, like, say, a lot of these rom-coms or amusing action films that carry a very strong message that is anti-humanitarian, anti-humanist. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> easy to consume and fun to watch. There's
0: are sweet, sweet distractions. Yeah. and Yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Although this movie has such a horrible content, it feels quite wholesome in its effect on you. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: If you're not traumatized by it, though.
0: Yeah, of course, there's that aspect to it. I guess you and me have seen enough horrible shit (laughs) that maybe we won't be quite as traumatized as a naive 14-year-old watching this movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, don't show this to kids, (laughs) for God's sake. But if you're an adult who can handle it, do watch it. Yeah, I think that's maybe it for this episode. I think it's been a bit longer than usual, which is okay. This is our 10th episode. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty cool. Good. The next
1: film we will be discussing is We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lynne Ramsey.
0: Okay, We Need to Talk About Kevin. What's the name of the movie? <laughs> yeah, that is the name of the movie. <laughs> oh, I'm
1: jumping. Yeah. And uh, she's a really great director, contemporary director, British. And uh, it's a very good film.
0: And it's an interesting theme, I yeah. think.
1: Yeah, it's, it'll be good to talk about, I think. Mm. Uh, quite different from this.
0: Yeah. In scope, it's a lot smaller. Yeah. But like in theme, it's, it's quite huge and pervasive.
1: Yeah,
0: So, yeah, looking um, forward to that.
1: Mm. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can send us an email at unpleasantmovies at protonmail.com or you can perhaps like and review us on iTunes or something like that. Leave a comment. We'd appreciate it. And if you want to see our list of unpleasant movies, uh, you can go to mooby.com. And look for unpleasant movies list. We've gathered up a bunch of films that we find to be deeply unpleasant, and <laughs> most of them also very good. And if you have recommendations for films, um, please send us a note about that. We're also going to focus a little bit more on female directors. If you have any suggestions by really good unpleasant movies by female directors, please uh, send us that. We would yeah.
0: appreciate it. Give us a call or send us a fax. Yeah. Facts would be perfect. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, that's it for today. I hope you have a nice time. And a nice life. Yeah. Bye-bye. Goodbye.